Hello, hello, and good evening. Welcome to this, another session of Healing Through Hurt, iTalk Radio. I'm your host, C. Maria Wall, a.k.a. the Mediator, the Shiro at your ground zero. And many of you know, today I even changed our opening music to our original theme music when we started almost six years ago because... Tonight, we're we're speaking on a very, very uh, important topic that so many people consider taboo. So I didn't want us to have our usual fest of good music playing from Tori Lee. So we went back to Cass Allen and her Where I Want to Go. And tonight, we hope that as you join us on this journey, my guest and myself, that we will help you to get on that path to a place where you would like to go of enlightenment and, of course, finding your way back into the light. Um, Let me just tell you a little bit about the guest. And, well, let's start with the title of the book because this was a real saucer kind of eye-opener for most of the people I had spoken with. The book is titled Healing from Incest, Intimate Conversations with My Therapist. So today, uh, this evening rather, I have, of course, the two authors of the book, Jerry Henderson and Cian Emerton. And let me give you just a slight uh, look into these two ladies' uh, bios. Dr. Jerry Henderson considers herself first and foremost a teacher and mentor, but loves her roles as sister, aunt, and friend. Jerry has taught in a number of places such as the Caribbean, Jordan, Bahrain, Lithuania, Lebanon, Japan, Korea, and the United States. Jerry currently teaches writing and literature in Asia and has published a number of articles on medieval mysticism and the pedagogy of language and writing in EFL environments. And Cianne Emerton, Cianne Lawson Emerton has been in private practice for over 25 years. She loves her work in Nebraska, the heartland of the United States, including involvement in yoga, spirituality, and fitness activities like swimming, hiking, and bicycling. She enjoys playing piano, travel, and time with her sons and their families in Boston and Denver. Family is her greatest joy. And Cianne is a mental health therapist and owner of Family Resources of Greater Nebraska PC and a certified life cycle celebrant. I like that, a life cycle celebrant. With that said, we're going to bring my guest on for this evening because I really do want us to get right into this subject. And, oh, for those of you who missed it, I see some of you want to know. Here's our opening chimes. I love our chimes so we can start on a positive note and we can welcome that positive energy. Ladies, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 
I, I, I want to tell you, too, that, um, as I said, it was such a saucer, eye-opening moment when I said, okay, well, it's the uh, person who was victimized uh, and uh, the therapist. And they were like, what? You know, they, it's just such an odd mm-hmm. combination to come out and come together. So, you know, my first question is, um, tell us about that title and how you two had decided to come together to put this book out. I think it's fantastic uh, because it, it gives that face to something that people are so afraid of because a lot of people, and this is one of the questions that I got, is so many people are intimidated by even the thought of going to therapy. So how did this come about for the two of you? Had the idea and who was the impetus for for getting it started, Deanne had a lot of hesitation. All I knew, Maria, was that um, as as a writer and an educator, I knew that as I had gone through a, a great deal of the process, um, as we know, the process is never quite over, but um, right. that I right. wish that I had had some kind of narrative that would have explained to me, um, written by somebody who could write. And I thought, when I had read a number of narratives, a number of autobiographies and autobiographical accounts, but nothing that was um, written with a therapist. But because it it was such a unique um, kind of um, endeavor, there were no guidelines for that. And um, mm-hmm. as time went on, the first time I had the idea, we were still in therapy, so that wasn't going to happen. And I really had no clear sense of how it might happen. Yeah? Right. Right. Uh, when Jerry first approached me about the idea, I, I thought it was ludicrous. I mean, that's a lot confidentiality defines the therapeutic relationship. So it was hard for me to imagine a way that we could do that. And um, I thought, well, it might be fruitful to dialogue a bit and journal a bit um, using pseudonyms is what we thought in the beginning. And um, that didn't start until uh, therapy had been terminated. So we didn't begin writing the book until seven years after therapy terminated. Um, and it was a journey. Uh, I was very uncomfortable for a long time and then had a number of professional consultations to help me feel uh, secure in doing this and had to get all the appropriate releases, for instance, and consent. And then we began to have a lot of energy around it. So it, it ended up rather creating itself, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Right. It ended up being a very rewarding process for us, too, uh, because we learned a lot that we did not know about each other's thought processes. Right. And, and go, go into that a little bit, because I was about to ask that question um, on that level, because because at this point it becomes something more than just uh, about the person who was victimized story part of your story and your journey in this comes into play too, Cian. So paint that picture for us how 
it affected you when you decided to become a part of this collaboration? Well, uh, it actually was a very um, poignant uh, experience in terms of my own professional and personal growth. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you're observing yourself in a different way and being being transparent with Jerry regarding my thoughts during therapy, um, I had to feel very secure that she was secure and uh, right. uh, that we could trust our relationship uh, with that whole experience. Jerry's been fortunate to have excellent therapists um, after my uh, time as her therapist, and she's always been in good care. So it helped me knowing that she was in good care at the time of our writing. Um, and actually, um, we, our relationship developed into kind of an interesting um, collegial yet friendship kind of uh, relationship where we we could actually have fun in this process. And that sounds kind of crazy, but <laughs> it was uh, the discipline of writing was good for for me. Uh, we work on Skype a lot and use Google Docs a lot because she was uh, living abroad. Uh, but I, I feel like I really grew from the process. Right. And, and you know, I, I was curious about that because, um, you know, it's, I used to tell this story that one of my college English professors um we became friends, and when I walked into her classroom for the first time, she knew that I was someone with a story. And um, after I was no longer her student, we became friends, and it was so amazing. I, I never knew. Um, I wasn't very social at the time, you know, because because of the life that I had led, I was not very open to anyone, but I never realized how many people could see through my my smile, I guess, into my heartache and pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for you, Jerry, this is like a segue. We're coming into you to start giving us a little inside look into your journey and how mm-hmm. you had grown to that point where you were able to or what what prompted you to remember everything and then for you to have that need to tell your story and write the book. So set this up for us a little bit so that we can start this journey with you. Okay. Well, I, first of all, I've always enjoyed writing. So that piece was not even hmm that that was not even a part of the challenge. Uh the, but the next thing was, I thought, it, wouldn't it be helpful? Couldn't, wouldn't I have benefited from some story like this? And then I thought, well, I could write that. I think I could. Uh, if I had known perhaps at the beginning of the writing that it would have ended up with my name on it, maybe I wouldn't have. <laughs> Um, right. Because, you know, we, I, I wrote quite freely in a pseudonym, and um, uh, there was no need for me to feel for for any reason of self-promotion, certainly, um, to have right. my name on it. And, and that decision came much, much later. 
But the whole idea for me was um, an attempt to try to help others in a way that um, perhaps had not been done before. And uh, as a teacher and as an educator, uh, that's always been my focus. How can I teach? How can I help? Um, And so that's been the motivation. I have another um, uh, question. Um, did you did you experience this? Because I know that I have, and this is a question that one of my um, my listeners would like to know. How do you? I know for me, I'll just use myself as an example. When I started all of this, and I wrote my first book, and this and that, family members were like. Who does she think she is? Somewhere, it's in the past. Why are you bringing this up? You should move on. You know how you have the, you know, the inexperienced experts that tell you everything about how you should live. Uh, Maria? Maria? Uh-oh. Maria? Maria? Hold on a moment. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Yes, mm-hmm. we can now. Okay. I don't know what that was. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I was like, hold on, ladies. I'm really here. But um, okay. we're still here. <laughs> yes, so you were just saying that you got a lot of pushback from your family. A lot of pushback from family members, um, I mean close family members, and some of them were part of the problem, but they are still playing that role, you know, that, you know, the lie that they permeated and created throughout my lifetime. So they have to jump in with the people who they've already poisoned their minds to, you know, to believe their version of everything. But... um, did you find that? Did you have a lot of opposition, and how did you deal with it? Well, at first, uh, because the family was, um, you know, at that point there was some discomfort, but there wasn't any real um, threat to them, right? Yeah, or uh, or uh, fear on their part. So that it, the process started without that, and then as time. Um, for the book to actually come out and the time especially when we decided that we would use our real names and we would um, come forward because that would serve the best interest of the book, uh, there was. And the the perpetrator is long gone, but my siblings were very concerned. And right. Right. Sorry, Maria? Uh-huh. Okay. And they, so um, there was a family meeting called, and um, there was a discussion about that I, 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 you know, that I lied to them and said that I wouldn't put my name in there. And um, it, was a, it was a dramatic moment. It really was. And there were times when, um, for both of us, there were times when we wanted to give up and we wanted to stop the whole process 
And when I was, I was really sorry that I had told the publisher we would actually do this. <laughs> yes. <Right. laughs> I, I, and that's one of the things that, um, oh, wow, now I'm getting strange feedback. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, do you still hear that? Is it gone now? It's gone now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. All right. I'm working with two different systems, so in case one voice goes out, I'll have a backup system ready. But we seem to be oh. better now. <laughs> so I always have contingencies in place. So, um, <laughs> but again, uh, that that's one of the things that a lot of my listeners had brought up: the fact that they are intimidated into silence and. You know, they don't know how to fight against, you know, the the machine or the system or the family or whatever, you know, because the family, it's amazing how, you know, sometimes family members are so separate until something like this happens, and then they come together like a well-oiled machine to silence everyone because it didn't happen to them. You know, it happened to you, and they don't want you, shh, it's a secret. And that's where so many people start to, to, you know, the tears start to flow because they're like, I don't have a voice. They don't have a voice. They can't speak it. So that's why tonight, as I had shared with you all earlier, was so important because they're still where they are. And, Jerry, I know that you've been all over the world. And this is another question because a lot of my listeners are not stateside. They are abroad in countries all over the world. And, you know, this is almost like second nature in certain countries. It happens here in the U.S. and it happens more than we can, you know, possibly imagine. But in other countries and cultures, it's almost just commonplace. Yes. So, yes. you know, if you could speak on that aspect of it, because I want this show, I want people to know that it's not just about the U.S., that we understand and we know that it's happening in other places, because I'd love to give those in silence abroad their voices when I can, while they're while they still have their anonymity. So have you come across that in your travels, you know, outside of the U.S. as well as inside, of course, but have you come across that in your travels abroad for both of you ladies? Um, I have only in, um, in certain, uh, certain very specific scenarios in the Middle East where mm-hmm. there's a bit of a shrug, shrug um, and, and an acceptance, but um, you know, but you still see the damage, and right. uh, the 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 fact that it is there's an acceptance of it doesn't mean that the that the um, survivors are not damaged. So, as far as the silence is concerned, and and I think that the family is really can be really good at the, at that. My uh, own situation was very specific in that 
Um, one of my therapists encouraged me to talk to my family, and they all believed me. And so I was very fortunate in that they they knew I was in therapy, and they knew that I was talking about it, and they they supported my getting help. Um, it was a lot harder for them to support the book, but um, I would say, with the exception of perhaps one person. Everyone mm-hmm. else is mm-hmm. on board and supportive. And that in itself, you know, that's an anomaly for a lot of people because most times, you know, most people want to stay in that art of denial. Do you think, now this is one of these interesting questions, but because everyone, you said that they were, they they accepted it and they, well, they accepted it. When most families don't accept it, was it because, oh, how do I word this? You know, a lot of times people, when they get up in arms and they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to accept it, it's because, like, with, I'll just say it, with my family, you know, so many family members have said, well, I saw, thought that something was wrong, but I didn't want to get involved, which hurt me more than had they mm-hmm. not said anything. So for yes. you, you know, do you – was your family, all of your family, unaware that you know of? Or or are there family members who you'd like to, you know, if we could just put a face to it and say, just strangle them because you know that they knew? <laughs> no, really not. There was such silence in the whole family that I only knew that my father had said something to my mother. That's all I knew. And what he told me he said was not uh, uh, what he said. And it was only in CN's office that the truth came out that we, my mother and I had both been lied to. She had not heard the whole story and I had not heard. And we had both been told, you don't need to talk to each other because I have apologized and confessed. And I didn't realize that what he had confessed was not really the truth. Uh, as far as my siblings are concerned, they did not know until I talked to them, and they were devastated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Deanne? Well, I'm just recalling the session that we had with Jerry and her mother, um, uh, which... Uh, if you've read the book, uh, Jerry does quite a, a good job describing that that session in detail. Mm-hmm. But a lot came to light, and my training really is in family systems. I'm a marriage and family therapist, and uh, I just know the value of hearing the right things from the right person in the room. And thank goodness Jerry's mom agreed to have to participate in this session, and uh, I had to do a little work ahead of time to to feel secure that she would have appropriate responses, and indeed she did. And uh, she was the only one that could have told Jerry that indeed Jerry, well, she said in the session she thought Jerry had been a perfect child. <laughs> and uh, Jerry, thing. <laughs> that was new to Jerry. <laughs> but it, uh, I think it was very healing mm-hmm. for you, wouldn't you say, to yeah. hear that out of her mouth. I mean, absolutely. No matter how much I would have tried right. to tell Jerry this, this was not her fault uh, or that she didn't deserve it, 
I couldn't speak, you know, as a parent, obviously. So right. it was very healing for her to hear that from her mother. And, and that's, that's the thing. I believe that that's part of the ultimate healing is when we hear that from the people who were supposed to protect us or the people who we love the most. And so many of us will never get that. We will never get an apology. We will never get an acknowledgement. Um, So that in itself is a blessing to hear this. So for so many people to hear that, even me sitting here, it's like, wow, you know, I'll probably never get that on this side of the River Jordan or any other. You know, I'll never hear that, those words that, Mm-hmm. You know, sorry, you know, it, it's, I acknowledge, I, you know, so many of us won't hear that. So mm-hmm. when you, for you, Jerry, to hear that, and like, like Cianne said, no matter how many times she said it, or if we were friends, if I said it to you, that it wasn't your fault, you, it wasn't you, it wasn't you. Right. Describe for us the difference that it felt I guess had you not been in that session or heard those words, but describe for us how it freed you when you heard those words, how it was lifted from you. That you know that has to be a different feeling from oh. you know you know not hearing it. Right, exactly. It it was it was fairly dramatic, and as I write in the book, I I never wanted to to actually thank Cian for that session. <laughs> no. Because it was a very difficult session and I I I really resisted it. I was very afraid uh that my mother would be hurt. Um she she did not know the extent and and Cian did not tell her, which was part of our contract, but my mother was hurt enough and 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 really emotional. Um for me, the difference was was really quite amazing. I had not known, uh, you know, everything didn't change, but so much did change. And I had not known that she, ha- my mother, had not agreed with my father that I was the worst child in the world and deserved being beaten and and sexually abused and all those things. I did not know that. And so when my mother said that and said how hurt she was at the treatment that I had received, um, both uh, physically and sexually and and emotionally, it was, it's hard to describe the difference. But it, it was dramatic because I had to start changing my mind about, the person that I thought I had been for 35, 40 years or more, <laughs> more. <laughs> right. Right. So and that, I, I just want to add, Maria, excuse me, but uh, the impact that that's had on your relationship today, Jerry, yes. with your mother, who's yes. now quite elderly, but yes. maybe you want to speak to that a little bit. Well, we're very close and, um, when I come home, I spend to the states. I spend hours with her, and she is, you know, she doesn't remember everything, but she will say, 
you know, your father didn't know much about raising children. And then she'll, and I said, no, mother, he did not. <laughs> and then she'll say, um, he was really inappropriate. And just recently I said, mom, he was more than that. And she said, he was mean to you. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we have a, a very honest and open relationship now that we could not possibly have had before where I was trying to protect her and trying to not hurt her, uh, you know, all my life. Right. Let me ask you this, Jerry, and um, CN, you can chime in on this too. For those of the people who will hear this show tonight and beyond who are still lost in this storm and darkness, you know, when you have to, how do you start to reprogram the way that you think about the person that you see in the mirror? What steps did you take? And how are you still taking it? Because are there days, you know, this is a two-part question, I guess. Are there days when you could see something or smell something or suddenly it'll bring back some of those memories, and how do you handle when that comes up and, and if for that small moment, no matter how small that moment is, how do you snap back into your survivor mode so that you can keep moving forward? So how did you begin to love that person and know that that person wasn't responsible when you saw them in the mirror? That's a huge problem for people. How do they move forward? How do they learn to like what they see? You know, the person that they see staring back at them. Oh, wow. That's a big question. <laughs> That's a big question and one good question. It's a good question. <laughs> Deanne is raising her eyebrows at me and looking at you. I'm going to answer that. <laughs> Take that one off, Gary. <laughs> Okay, well, my current therapist is not hearing this show right now, and that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, uh, to be really honest, why wouldn't I be? I've written this book, but to be really honest, that's such an ongoing process. And what I have learned about those things that trigger me into my little mode and the place where I want to feel small and insignificant and hide, Um, uh, what I am learning over time is how to recognize that more quickly and employ things that bring me back to um, reality and and rational thought. And one of the things that CN has talked about and my current therapist talks about is reality testing. includes thinking things about other people. Would I want my closest friend or my niece or or my great niece to feel that way? And if I wouldn't, then I rationally have to accept that that's, you know, that's not a thought that should apply to me either. But it's, uh, Maria, this is... A, this is work that goes on. Uh, right. Just, well, just because we wrote this book doesn't mean, and for me as well, it's right. an ongoing journey. Right. Uh, 
working with it and you your test your testimony, Jerry, to the fact that it's an ongoing journey. Right. Because the shame is so right. deep, Maria. And I think that's the one thing I would want people to know is that um even you know, Jerry had a pretty good scenario here with a mother that believed her, siblings that believed her, um and, and ultimately supported her. But even if you don't have that ideal uh, support system, uh, there's ways to work on oh, reducing shame. It's really important to to come to a place where you can uh, actually love yourself and realize it wasn't your fault, no matter what. Right. And that's it. I, I, I preach this on the show all the time, but... It's always good when that lets me know that, yeah, I'm telling people the right thing, too, and that it's it's an ongoing process. It doesn't – you don't wake up and it's like, hey, it's all great, and I'm wonderful, and I'm invincible, and it's over, and, cause for, you know, <laughs> is it ever really over? Um, I don't think well, so, Maria. It, but yeah. – but, you function in the world a lot better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. You can manage better with uh, the more you talk about it with a safe, uh, hopefully a therapist or, you know, a safe person, um, the more you can deal with it, of course. And when we first started therapy, um, because I knew Jerry loved children, she taught young children at the time. Uh, I thought we would do what I call, and what is called inner child work, and I invited her to bring a picture of herself as a young girl with the goal of hoping she could look at this young, cute little girl and start to love her. But you might, you want to say a word on how that was for you, Terry? <laughs> because I learned a lot from that. Oh, Lord. I did mercy. it the wrong way. <laughs> I. Yeah, I mm, I don't really want to say how that was for me, but it was uh, pretty awful. I I hate I hated her, and uh, for a long time I wanted to uh, to to tell Sam, look, let's just get rid of that girl. She caused me a lot of trouble, and she and and I'm still paying for what she did and how the trouble that she got into. And now look. And, of course, when Sian says it backfired, there was no way that I looked at her the way that I look at other little children. I just couldn't see it. All I saw was a child who had antagonized her father to the degree that he would beat her and sexually abuse her. That's all I saw. And, I, you know, it has taken me a long time to accept her and accept me as um, an, an entity that survived and who probably placed all that, um, all those memories on that child so I wouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just lost my train of thought. I had another great question coming, but I'll look down this list again. But... Um, Spirituality. When you were, well, I don't even know if we can call it spirituality at that age, but um, when you were being molested and 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 in the thick of it, 
yes. a lot of people don't know how to disassociate. I guess that's what it's, we can call it, disassociation. Did you go to another place? Did you, how did you, yes. how did you cope? How did you cope? Uh, well, I actually remember very clearly that I was not there. I remember sort of floating from the ceiling and looking down at the child and and seeing her being beaten or seeing her being abused in, in any way. Um, I, I was simply not there. And so I. Um, that's why the separation came between who I was and who the little child was, because I no longer saw them as the same. And um, Cianne pointed out that, you know, that's okay at that time. It helps you survive. As you asked, it helps you cope. Um, But when you grow up and you try to be whole, this association is not so Great, an idea. It really serves you well. <laughs> yeah. at that point. But yes, I. That's probably true for. I don't know, Maria. Did you? Uh, you know what? Or do you I, remember? I, I was. I was. How do I describe this? I didn't. I wasn't. It wasn't that. I just became invisible. It's almost like I just didn't exist at all. Wow. Mm-hmm. If that, you know what I mean? If that, I don't even know how to describe it other than I became the invisible person who I was taught that I was. It was like I just didn't exist. I spent I spent my childhood waiting to die most of the time. You know, when is this going to end? You mean to tell me that I have to live to grow up, you know, as a child? You don't think that you could die from a car accident or something. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to live. I'm only X amount of years old. I'm going to have to live to be like back then. You know, 30 was old. You know, And it's like, I have to live that long, and then I have to wait that long to die? You know, why? Just take me away. So I spent yeah. my whole life longing to die, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, or to disappear, it not be here. Right. I, I really understand that. Um, I've been a long time that way as well, partly because, you know, things didn't make sense and that was the only the only exit that I could think of, the only solution I could think of for a long, long time. I, I really understand that. Yeah. And so yeah. many people go through that. They 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 just don't want to see tomorrow and you know, when I'm in that spot where I've been through a lot, but I'm not a therapist, you know, I, I, I've i written a book, but I did mine in a different way. And this is something else, Jerry and Cian. What I did was, instead of me coming right out with all of the stories, when I wrote my book, I put other people who I've worked with stories and mine, I mixed, I blended them together, but I did our stories in poetic form. Because I wasn't at that point where I would sit down and do as you ladies did and just write it all out. Um, The book that's coming out, I took it back to my childhood because everything that happened then 
affected who I had become now and why I stayed in this relationship with the abusive husband and all of that. It didn't just start then because I was this strong come-to person where everyone would come to me, you know, to help them solve their problems. And then I found myself being a statistic. And at some point I said, it didn't just start, you know, in 2008 or nine, whenever I married the clown. It wasn't that. It started long before because I'd look back and I noticed that I was accepting of everyone mistreating me throughout my entire life. And that's one of the questions that a lot of my listeners have, is that we do what we have been conditioned to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where it comes in. And, you know, your mom went to therapy with you. My mom said that there was nothing wrong with her, so she didn't need anything. She had all oh. of the answers. Oh, okay. Oh, right. my. <laughs> Not even to help you, Maria. No. Because she had all of the answers, and even to this day we are strange because I call it that she's in her reaping season now. Because in order for me to heal and grow, I had to let her go, and everyone who wasn't serving me any healing purpose didn't matter who it was. It did not matter. And I think that that's one of the reasons, I'm not tooting my own horn, this is one of the reasons why Healing Through Hurt, this show works, because we... We lost you, Maria. We don't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. 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 Hold on. Let me turn this off. Okay. So that's why I have backups. I don't know what's going on. But (laughs) that's why this show works because we have the... Okay, here's that sound again. Hold on. Okay. There okay. we go. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, we have this candid conversation where we put the real stories, the real people, and we talk mm-hmm. about the real hurt and the real healing. So for me to have you all here tonight and to bridge this gap because hurt comes in many forms. You know, the the means are slightly different, but the end is the same. We're all hurt. We were hurt. But no, there was no, for me and for so many of my listeners, there are no family members or who will come forward and go to those sessions and to help because they don't want to address what they know happened. Right. And, you know, I had nobody like that, so I had to become my own individual person at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. it's been an interesting journey for me, but I did have the therapy. No one was there but my daughter-in-law, and she would sit on the phone because my son and his family live out of state. But she would sit on the phone with me when I'd be on my way to therapy, and when I would be on my way back, because naturally, you know, after therapy, that's usually more painful than when you're going to it. But right, um, right. No, no, I didn't have any support in, you know, as early as 2013, 14, 15. I've had family members who said, you know, I had one uncle say, you know, I probably told my wife before I die, I'm going to ask you what the deal was between you and your mom and what? 
I'm like, what? So wow. you're another one that knew that something was wrong, so you just want to satisfy your curiosities before you die. Let me understand this. And I had another family member say, you know, it was so long ago. Why don't you just forget it? You need to move on. I'm like, what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You, you, you can't know, really you know, without your work. Without doing yeah. your work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I speak, I represent so many of my listeners, you know, and my supporters, mm-hmm. because I, I portion of my life thinking, oh, my gosh, this is only happening to me this way. And there are still some parts of it where I still do feel like I haven't come across someone where it's that similar to my situation. But I can't live my life saying, oh, woe is me. <laughs> you know, I, have, I had to decide, was I going to die or was I going to live? I chose right. to live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're quite a survivor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never call myself a victim. I was victimized. But I don't like to use the word I was a victim because that yeah. tends in the back of my mind, it tends to try to pull me back to an ugly place. Yeah. Good so yeah, good choice of using the word in past you that you were victimized, yes. Yeah, better way of thinking. It's and and obviously you have the internal strength to uh, to move forward. Uh, I think there were times in Jerry's journey where um, before you were actually there was a time, Jerry, if you don't mind mentioning it, when you you didn't consciously think about your abuse history. No, right, and would try to push it down, mm-hmm. and then the, then it comes out sideways. You know. It's, as we see. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know how much you want to go into that, but I think it's a good story when you were visiting the doctor and uh, got the letter. Oh, but yeah, when when I first uh, got a letter from my father saying, um, well, uh, <laughs> the weird thing that happened was I got a letter from my father on the very day that I had had an eye checkup my eyes were dilated and I couldn't read it. But because I rarely got a letter from my father, I assumed that there was some emergency. So I was working in a church office and I took it to the pastor and I said, could you please read this to me because there must be some emergency. And the pastor read this sentence. I'm sorry if there's anything that I have done that has prevented you from having a relationship with uh, anybody and marrying. And the and at first, when you read that, I didn't even understand what it meant. And then I started to have some very, really awful feelings. And the minister looked up at me, and I immediately said, oh, I don't really understand what that is. But shortly after that, things started to fall apart, um, and I wasn't even sure why. Uh, but but the, the, it seemed that the um, that the house that I had built was was crumbling, 
and and the house that protected me from all those the bad things, the memories from the child who bore all that, uh, it started to fray and and things happened that were um, completely out of my control and I became more and more uh, suicidal. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah. <sighs> I, I, I think that with that letter, in hindsight, do you think that he was trying to destroy you in some way? Well, at first, I thought it was an apology. Right. But, you know, and maybe he thought, it, his conscious mind maybe thought that too. I don't know, but right. what it did was completely do me in. I, I, I mm-hmm. uh, it, it did nothing in terms of a apologizing it just sort of made things fall apart and i you know maria i don't know my father was a very complex man and um you know he was a a minister who did a lot of good in the world but uh he also was this other person and so Figuring out what he thought has always been, or what motivated him, has always been a puzzle for me. But recently, one of my siblings said, we grew up in an angry household. And I think that's a good description. He was angry most of the time. And recently, I heard that maybe he shouldn't have gone to Norfolk Island in the first place. You know, that... He found that life very hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I don't want to excuse that on any level, but um, apparently, you know, he just was, and I know that he had come from a highly dysfunctional family himself, but he he just was this angry person. And whether he was trying to destroy me, boy, I've never even considered that, Maria, I I just thought, as he did when he apologized to my mother, at any level that 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 could be considered an apology, um, that I felt it was selfish. I was angry with him for apologizing to her, rather than just coming to me and saying, I am sorry, it won't happen again. You know, why did he have to hurt my mother? because she was very hurt, even if she didn't know the whole story. Um, and I I hated him for that. And when I brought right. a little bit ago, I was thinking how Jerry had been in such denial, Maria, about because she was away from the home at the time that this letter arrived, of course. Uh, so she, she really went about her daily life not thinking about the abuse history. Is that right. what you're saying? Right. But then what happens is that got so pushed down. And my point earlier about you, it sounds like, you know, your healing can happen when you when you name the truth and when you face the truth. And and um and you get out of that denial. 
So luckily for Jerry, she did get out of that denial and the healing journey began. So in a way, it was a wake-up call for you, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although it took a little while after that. Yeah, it, wa- it wasn't necessarily a wake-up call I was uh, answering. <laughs> no. Because I didn't know what I was supposed to wake up to. Yeah. Right. Good so, right. I, you know, Maria, I was just thinking about the the original question for your overseas listeners, and mm-hmm. I had that question of therapists before because um, Margaret Mead, the sociologist, had studied cultures in which it was, at, and these are not cultures that that are actually viable anymore, but back in her day when she was studying them, um, these were cultures that totally accepted the fact that the father was the the, the, the girl's initiator to uh, the life, the sexual life. And right. I asked, you know, uh, if that could have the same effect that it has in Western culture where it is so taboo. Apparently, it does not when it is completely accepted on every level, but in general these days, your current listeners would not be in that situation. They would not be in a culture that was totally accepting, and it is against most laws in most countries. But what Sian just said about naming it in order to, you know, move forward, in order to to recognize it, if you can't have the supportive family and friends that I have had, um, that doesn't mean that you can't move forward. But Sian's point about naming it in any culture is, I think, critical. Right. And And I had brought that up because I've had people who've contacted me from all over the world to the point where where they shared their stories and then I had to call the embassies and get them involved and other governments to get these people out of what they're going through. Um, I think that, you know, as much as I studied it in in college as well and cultures, uh, I forgot the name of my particular class, but we studied all of these different aspects of different cultures because, you know, we in the U.S., you know, a lot of my fellow students back then, they were just so, oh, that could never happen here. Oh, it doesn't happen here. Oh, it still happens there. Theoretically, I think that in a lot of, of cultures, they may have given it a new name, but some of those mm-hmm. old practices are still very much alive and well. And to hear some of the stories from the people who have reached out that I've had to help stateside and abroad in other countries it's just so amazing i'm like wow it hasn't gone anywhere and now you know even in this country just to change it from this topic a little bit is that human trafficking is coming to the forefront now where people didn't realize that some of us have been fighting on that front and helping people behind the scenes for decades and now suddenly media is bringing it to the forefront and people were like, oh, I didn't know. So, you know, that's why it was so important to let my my um, listeners who aren't here 
understand that we know and we we see we know and we haven't forgotten them and sometimes that that's good enough for them to know that they're not forgotten they're not invisible say for instance like I was as a child they're not invisible right, right. so you know that in where, itself mhm oh, go ahead i was just going to say that's where uh groups like like you're involved with and like the proceeds from our book are going to like for the rain group, you know, that's those kind of groups are needed and so powerful. And Jerry didn't have any resources like that when you were in the, on the isolated island. No, no. And a lot of people right. still don't have right. uh-huh, the necessary resources. Right. And and that's why I, I I'm a I'm a member of the Rain Speakers Bureau. Um, you know, I'm a CASA. I'm a court appointed special advocate because I didn't have any of that knowledge back in the day. Yeah. There was no knowledge yeah. about any of that. Yeah. And um that's why I've become so involved now. Um because of that. Uh, you know, I, I I've been a, a wonderful supporter of Rain and when I was at that point where I could get involved, I did. Um yeah, good. It's so important for people to understand that before we go, ladies, please share all of your information with the listeners, how they can get a copy of your book um, and how they can reach out to you uh, if need be, if they want to talk more on that personal one-on-one level. Uh, and let us know, especially for you, Cian, if you do any type of um, – um, sessions with people, especially people like to reach out to my guests who may not live in your area, but um, or if you could give them resources. So, ladies, please share any information that you'd like with the listeners on how to contact you and, of course, get a copy of this book because this is one of those books. You know how sometimes they call certain books, they like the Bible, you, you know, you know of things, the the Bible version of something, because no one really touches on this. No one gives it a face. No one gives it life. It's something that a lot of people would prefer to keep, you know, the interest. So everyone, if you're going through this or you know someone who is, you need to get a copy of this book. It's the beginning of your breakthrough. It's the beginning of your journey back into the light and loving yourself and understanding that there is life after this. So, ladies, I'll turn over the floor to you to give all of your contact information and, of course, the information on how to get the book. Okay. Uh, the book is Healing from Incest, uh, Intimate Conversations with My Therapist. It is available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And sorry, and we have the audio. Oh, and and we are in the process of uh, putting the audio up. It is also available on an e-version and Kindle. And my name is Jerry Henderson, and Cian S E A N N E Emerson. Either name will get you to that. Um, there are uh, reviews on Good Goodreads as well that will link to that. Our email address is healingincest at gmail dot com, and our uh, 
book is uh, there's link uh, there's a link to uh, on the website is healing incest at squarespace.com. Uh, Sian, do you want to talk about resources for people? Well, um, I think it's best to go to these sites because we list resources there. Um, I do encourage people in their areas, if there's EMDR-trained therapists available, that can be very helpful to work through trauma. And uh, if people contact me, I can also uh, provide uh, uh, listings in their area for people that are for therapists that have the EMDR training. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for so sharing much. that. And um, before we go, uh, for both of you, what words of encouragement, words of um, motivation and inspiration would you give to the listeners? Because that's the one thing that I love. Those that miss the live show, they can come back a million times and hear it and listen to it, which is what a lot of people tend to do because they need to hear it several times to get everything that they need. But what would you say, let's start with you, Jerry. What would you tell people um, as, um, I, you know, something that they can they can just take with them and do on a daily basis. How about that? Something that they can start a regimen on. Well, the the last chapter of the book is called A Light at the End of the Tunnel. And yeah. what that yeah. chapter shows is that um, even though the process is ongoing, that there is, you get to a point where you realize Yes, I am better. I am doing better. I am learning coping skills. I can handle the the uh, fallout from PTSD. I have more tools. I am not uh, sinking to the bottom of depression um, each time that I am triggered. So the 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 daily thing uh, that that is most helpful to me is yoga, prayer, and meditation. Deanne? Mm -hmm. I would uh, echo that, um, well, first of all, it's never too late um, to, to, uh, to begin a healing journey or continue the healing journey. Uh, the healing journey itself can feel daunting at times for people, uh, but taken one day at a time, um, it's just about what Jerry said, putting one foot in front of the other and moving more towards the light. And the best way to do that is to come out of the darkness and share, talk to someone, <clears throat> excuse me, talk to someone uh, so that you're not just carrying this yourself. That's probably the biggest first step. And then uh, it's, it's just daily um, um, centering yourself um, uh, prayer, like Jerry said, meditation. Yoga is evidence-based for for uh, helping with with the trauma and stress that's held in the body. Um, the main thing is to remember you're not alone, and and to do what you can to seek help. Yes, yes, yes. And before we go, before you we mentioned go. something, Jerry. I believe it was yes. you about um, PTSD because yes. 
Now, this is me personally. I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, I guess because so many people have been bombarding me with their wanting to change scenarios for 2016, is that there are certain things that have triggered my, me to go into, you know, defense mode, so to speak. And, um, and I do believe that a lot of people may be suffering from PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, for those of you who don't know, who don't even realize that that's what's happening with them. So uh, do you have, um, when you notice that you're getting to that point, what are some of the things that you feel or you notice that lets you know that, okay, I'm about to have an episode here. So what are some <laughs> of the things that you notice or feel, that, and then how do you go about combating them to get yourself back in check? And I understand um, I do the same things, meditation, prayer, and this year I'm getting into yoga. So, right. yeah, pray for me because I might get bent and <laughs> not be able to unbend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I'm just getting it out now, I have in my my purse something that I carry all the time. First, I have a little notebook, and in that notebook are the things that my therapist tells me that are positive. Many come mm-hmm. from um, what she says in, when she writes emails, and others come from Martha Beck that she forwards on to me. And so I keep that, and I start reading that. I notice what happens is I start to get very, um, I feel fragile. I feel fragile and um, and very easily uh, may cry, probably will cry. <laughs> um, and then I want to hide. And uh, I try to see that as quickly as possible. Um, so the, the things in my toolkit include Altoids that are uh, very strong mints that bring you back to the present, um, a little spiky ball that I roll in my hands, an emery board that I rub over my fingers. Um, I, I keep uh, uh, something perfume, something to smell, and... Um, Let's see, what else do I have in this bag? I have um, some markers and paper for writing, um, doodling. But the whole point of everything is, oh, and I have a soft thing in there to touch. And then I have a music playlist on my iPod that is called My Favorites. And... The point of all of these is to bring you back to the present as quickly as possible so you are are not living in that moment where you were taken suddenly by the trigger. Right. Wow, I didn't even think about having my little... um and you're right, Altoids. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll bring you back to anything. They're ooh, <laughs> yeah, definitely some Altoids. But um, 
I do the music. I, even when I'm at work, you know, I'm, I'm in my office. I'll put on a playlist. I love um, native music with the pan flutes and, uh, um, you know, the, the Tibetan bowls, things like that. I, I'm a big, mm-hmm. big person on, on vibrations. Um, they help to center me. And uh, you're right, though. I, I, the Altoid thing is still sticking out with me because someone just offered me one like two days ago, and I hadn't had one in a while. And I was like, whoo, okay, well, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, well, that's a okay. good <laughs> The therapist Altoids. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, she the therapist that I have now mentioned those and I uh and at first I was a little bit resistant because they are so strong. But something very strong and something very sour and something that's very that has a, a lovely smell and anything that appeals to the senses or can wake the senses up are the right. things that she yeah. recommends. And she works specifically with the uh, trauma and uh so she's uh she's helped me gather resources for um recognizing when i i might need help <laughs> to say the least <laughs> and that you can travel with right that that are very portable yeah and uh, one of the things i thought that I would get to the place where that I wouldn't have these episodes anymore. Like I thought, well, you'll do enough therapy that pretty soon you'll just kind of float through the world and nothing will bother you again. And she said, oh, no, that's not going to happen. Just because of the way the brain grows during trauma and the earlier it happened, like before eight years old, yeah. and the longer it was sustained, um, the, the the more, what did you call it? The, the, the amygdala. Yeah, the amygdala was, was what? Well, it could trigger obviously. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. and because of, because of its early training, then it, that's just the way things are, but um, you can feel safer in the world knowing that you have learned the coping skills that you need to deal with it. So you don't have to feel, to wait until you're completely devastated at the point of being hospitalized before you do something. <laughs> right. Right. And right. I believe that um, that that's such great advice. And, and, and the realization is people... As Jerry and Sienna have said, it's it's an ongoing process, and I've said this a million times on this show. I'm still in on my road to healing too. The difference is that we have come far enough where we are able to pave the road so that all of you listening, your journey will be a little less bumpy. That's the point of all of this. It's selfish of us not to share our stories because we have come a long way through many a fire. So it's all about that, knowing that we're all on this journey together. I'm still healing, too. I'm no expert at everything because each day is still a learning process for me. And as you said, Jerry, you'll turn on the faucet and become, you know, you'll cry. I don't. 
So mm-hmm. that's telling me that there's something else there that's holding me back from that. I, I know mm-hmm. how to say to myself, turn it off, and I can turn it all off. Oh, wow. So <laughs> that's one of those places where I am. Am I functioning? Mm-hmm. Of course I am. But is that sort yeah. of bit of dysfunctional? Absolutely. But it's a process. <laughs> when they figure it's out about- how to crack that code, then I'll be okay in that respect. But right now, I'm almost to the point where I can say where I am, I'm comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I still think that I'm in that survival defensive mechanism mode, but even if I attempt to think that I'm about to cry, I will look in the mirror and say, turn it off, and it's done. It's done. (laughs) So, you know, these are things that I like to share because I want people to understand that this is real. It's real for me. It's still very real, and I know that I'm very broken, but what I do know is that I am a forever changing broken masterpiece because I've taken the best of those broken pieces and created, recreated myself as a brand new masterpiece and it's changing daily. So that's where mm-hmm. I am in this. And that's mm-hmm. where, you know, the journey that I'd like to take all of my listeners on. And I want to thank you ladies for doing this with me uh, this evening, because as I said, I knew that this was a show that had to happen. We had to mm-hmm. talk and we had to do it tonight, you know, and, I, you know, last week, you know, this whole, my whole studio was acting up. I couldn't even get people on. If this had been a week before, I would not have been able to even get you guys on. Tonight, yes, the voice is going in and out, but guess what? We got this done because it had to happen. That's why I believe in divine timing. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maria, for having us on. It's been a pleasure to meet you and through you to have a chance to perhaps reach out to your listeners. I hope so. I hope so, too. Oh, my gosh, yes. You guys don't know. My listeners are the best in the world, literally. I believe that. I love them. Um, (laughs) But each guest brings something their own special spice to the table. And this tonight was the very first time that I had, you know, a group of women on who could put this in such perspective. And and, and my listeners, one thing that they love is to hear the realness of your stories and what you're saying, because that lets them know that, wow, I can do this. And they can do that. They yes, heard your voice, Jerry. They heard you tell the story. And one thing, as you can see, we don't get into every chapter of the book because I like for my right. listeners to get to know you. And that's mm-hmm. what they love, and that's where they connect. So trust me, you have helped more than one or two or five people this evening. And I thank you for that. And I love doing my show because, hey, it's helping me too. So I'm in <laughs> therapy role too. So. <laughs> Oh my! Well, well, thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> thank you so much, Maria. All the thank best you, to you. Thank you as well. Stay warm yeah. and, and uh, keep in touch. You know, I may do you when I do a uh, update show. I'll be reaching out to you, ladies, again. So until then, you oh. know, as always, be well. Have a blessed evening. Stay warm. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. You're welcome. (laughs) 
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, my gosh, guests, thank you so much for being here. And if you are new in our call query, welcome to Healing Through Hurt iTalk Radio. This is what this show was birthed to do. Real people, real stories, real hurt, real healing, and now real solutions. Tonight, once again, I just want you to know that if you miss this, give me a few moments. The show will upload and you'll be able to hear it in its entirety. Tonight, my guests were Jerry Henderson and C. Ann Emerton. They are the co-authors of Healing from Incest, Intimate Conversations with My Therapist. Tonight, you had a chance to hear it from the therapist side and from the patient or the client. And this is what happens when two people come together and they work well. After the fact, they can create a masterpiece. And this book is great. Get yourselves a copy. Healing from Incest, Intimate Conversations with My Therapist by Jerry Henderson and Cianne Emerton. Check them out. Look it up. Get your copy. As always, before I go, I pray each and every one of you enough. I pray you enough sunshine to brighten your rainy days. And I also pray you enough rain to make your gardens grow beautifully. And I pray you enough smiles to turn the frown you've been carrying around upside down. But most of all, I pray you enough strength and courage to face whatever may be coming your way from this point and beyond. I'm C. Maria Wall, and I want to remind you to continue to pay it and pray it forward. Until next time tomorrow morning, I will not be doing my Sunday morning inspiration show. As many of you know, I've been under the weather for most of this week, and I'm going to take tomorrow morning off and sleep in a little late. So I won't be on then, but thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me here this evening. Have a blessed remainder of your weekend wherever you are. And for some of you, it's already moving forward and you're well into Sunday. So until next week, I will see you soon. You can always reach me, of course, on my website, cmariawall.com. I'll be adding the information for the ladies in this book up there as well. You can give me a call if you need to hear that listening voice, 202-618-2556. You can join us on all of our social media sites on Facebook, Wow Women of Wisdom and Worth, and, of course, Focus Females Offering Clarity, Unity, and Success, and the Healing Through Hurt iTalk Radio uh, page there. And over on Google+, Plus, my my worldwide coaching group, Relationship Recovery. So those are all the ways you can reach us, get involved, reach me. I'll get you in contact with the ladies if you like. But get a copy of this book. Read it page to page. Baby steps. It's all about baby steps. It's about putting one foot in front of the other and never looking back. That's what this is all about. That's what this road call healing is all about. And it's much better when you have people to walk that road with you. So thank you again. Have a wonderful evening, everyone. I'm C. Maria Wall, as I said before. I can't thank you enough. My mere words could never express how appreciative I am 
of your support and you coming back week after week to join me and my guests as we share our stories of healing and hope. Till next time, be well, be blessed, have a wonderful, wonderful evening.